seemed to be company on the weekends. My mom would occasionally host her club meetings at our house. She would go to a club meeting once a month, but occasionally, maybe twice a year, she would host them at our house. And when she did that, when that happened, that the house would be totally transformed to uh, a lot of card tables and chairs. And uh, it looked like a restaurant gaming place. You know, where, uh, and my mom, she played bridge. She was a good uh, bridge player. So the house would be filled with ladies, laughter and conversations, smell of perfume, fresh coffee, and delicious food. There used to be a lot of kids in the neighborhood on Longfellow. My best friend, Tommy Coote, he lived across the street. He was my first friend, my best friend. Uh, we were about three years old. That was back in 58, 59. Then there were, there were, there were the Gateses, Lambert and Elbert Gates. Uh, there was Claude Miller, there was Bebe. His real name was uh, uh, Kenneth Flowers. He was kind of a fiery kind of guy. He, he got mad a lot, but uh, I liked him. He was my friend. And I had a friend named Etzel. Yep, and there was Bob and Ron Wilson and Bobby Williams, to name a few. Cliffy lived down the corner in Longfield next to Woodrow Wilson, the street Woodrow Wilson. I could go on and on. I know I reached uh, my limit with you all. I don't mean to bore you with details, but my time on Longfield meant a lot or means a lot to me. And I'm trying to communicate to you about this thing called time. When I had gone back to Detroit this past May to get uh, the remaining things out of the house, it was very tough seeing the house vacant. And, uh, but we needed to get uh, you know, some odd and ends things to make it final. And today, when I looked at the neighborhood, it was completely different. It's much quieter. I, didn't see, I don't see any kids in the neighborhood. All of us grew up and moved on with our lives. Some of my friends, sadly, their lives ended tragically. B.B. and Cliffy. Others moved on and I've lost track where they're at. There's a tree in the backyard. Dad and Mom planted that evergreen tree at the corner of the backyard back in April of 58. It was a little itty bitty tree. I don't remember them planting that, but, uh, and that tree uh, was a memorial that, uh, that was the time Danta had passed away. So they planted that tree as a memorial. And today you look at the tree, it's about 60 feet, at least 60 feet tall, great big old evergreen. It looks, kind of looks out of place in the, in the uh, backyard. I'm sure probably the, New owners, they, they may cut it down. Who knows? There's a song by Quincy Jones called Everything Must Change. Part of the lyrics of the song says this, everything must change. Nothing stays the same. Everyone would change. 
No one stays the same. The young become the old, and mysteries do unfold. Because that's the way of time. Nothing and no one goes unchanged. There are not many things in life you can be sure of, except, except God. The song doesn't reference God. It goes into some other things. But I recognize, except God. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he not said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Uh, amen. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So our God stands, he's consistent, uh, he doesn't change. My whole point in sharing with you a little bit of my story is to show how time is passing, quickly passing away. And we are changing. We are getting older. We don't even look or act the way we used to. I know you have your stories to tell too. And I would love, really, I would love to sit down and listen to each one of you all's stories. I really would. And you know, after you tell your story with me, we would both conclude that, you know, time really is going by quickly. We are getting older. The question is, how are we doing with the gift God has given us? The gift of our own individual lives. How are we doing there? Just like I knew that one day we would have to sell the house on Longfellow, one day we are all going to die. Unless the Lord comes back for us first, one day we are going to die. And we know what the Bible has to say about that. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, after this, the judgment. It is a horrifying and frightening reminder that one day we are all going to die. And we all will be judged by God on how we lived our lives. Amen? I know we don't want to think about that. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, God wants us to live our lives wisely by knowing and pursuing the will of God for our lives. Don't waste time because you can't get it back. Last month was the 50th anniversary of Neil Armstrong. Do you remember that? He became the first human to step on the surface of the moon in July of 1969. I remember that. In fact, I remember all the uh, space dealings back in the 60s. I used to sit there on the big old TV watching them take off. That was 50 years ago. 
Now that may or may not seem long to you all. Some of you all weren't even born back then. But Roland, Roland was born in 1969, 50 years ago. How old would we be if we lived another 50 years? I would be 113, 114 years old. I'm probably not going to live that long. How about this? We started this church in 1990. That was 29 years ago. Most of us here have lived through 29 years, right? Tack on another 29 years in your life. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a long time, does it? I would be 92 years old. Now I realize I may or may not make that age, but do we see though, do we see how short our lives are? Do we see how short our lives can pass by? And it's quite possible and easy to just float through life and, and miss God's call. Are you satisfied with how your life has been going? Or let me say it this way. In light of the fact that we don't have much more time living on this earth, do you know that your life is pleasing to God? Is it? The Bible says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's Psalm 90 verse 12. In numbering our days, the Lord wants us to evaluate the use of time in light of the brevity of life. And he wants us to gain a heart of wisdom by refusing to live our lives independently of God. He wants us to know what is his will is for our lives. God does not want us to live our lives not taking the time to really know who he is. He, we need to learn who God is and what God is like when we get uh, into his word. Studying his word. He wants us to know him. He wants us to discover his will for our lives. That's gaining a heart of wisdom. Taking the time to learn who God is and how God and how does he want us to live our lives. Wisdom is knowing how to apply scripture into my life. A waste of time would be for us to not take the time to know who God is. If you don't study his word, you won't have a clue what God is like. And he wants you to do what he wants you to do in, his, in your life. You won't, you won't be able to know that. Floating through life without a purpose is a waste of time. And it is possible to live your whole life without a purpose for living. You're not involved in things that will get you eternal rewards, like being involved in studying God's word, prayer, being involved in ministry, serving others, sharing our faith with others, discipling others, teaching and helping others how to grow in Christ, having a mindset or pray that God would give you a mindset that says, man, I have to know you, God. 
I want to know you. I want to please you, Lord, in everything that I do, having that kind of mindset. And I want to, le I want to lead as many people as possible to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage people in this way. This is all part of making the most of our time here on earth. Amen? Because the days are evil. The days are evil because there are many ways Satan tries to distract us from coming to God, from getting to know God or getting closer to God. The days are evil. I believe as you're hearing this message, our Lord is asking us this question. As it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved in this way. See, that's talking about the day of the Lord. But verse 10, Peter explains, There will be a time when the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. Everything that you see here is not going to last forever. And the earth and its works will be burnt up. The Lord is asking us, as it relates to the brevity of our lives, knowing that one day we're going to die, and we will all have to stand before God to be judged by him, the question is, the Lord is asking is, what sort of people ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? I'm motivated to preach this message because I want us all here in this church to, to be able to stand, to be able to stand before our Lord on that day, unashamed, ready to receive all the crowns our God has in store for us to, to receive. I hope the Lord doesn't have to hold back any of his rewards and blessings he intended to give us. The question, what sort of people ought you be, is really an exclamation point. It's not a question mark. It means how very excellent we as believers ought to be living. This is a straightforward challenge for us as believers to conform our lives to God's standards in light of the reality that one day we will all be judged by God. Let's look at the main passage of the scripture of this message today. It really is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. And it says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive things done in, in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul says he makes it his aim. So he was, he's eager. Paul had an intense conviction to be well-pleasing to him. Paul is saying it's right and honorable for us as believers to strive for excellence, spiritual goals, and all that is honorable before God. 
whether at home or absent, whether he should be in heaven or on earth, he really cared, Paul did, he really cared how he lived for the Lord. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, remember, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, see, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, he disciplines his body. His emotions say, hey, let's do this. He says, no, I'm going to obey, the, I'm going to, I'm going to obey God. Mindset, thinking wants to think, wants to think a certain way. Paul said, no, we're not thinking. We're not going there. I want to please God. See, and that's how we have to live. We, we got to buffet our bodies. We got to discipline our bodies. We can't let our emotions rule what we do. We got to say, no, this is what God says, and we are, we are going there. <laughs> Tell yourself, no, I'm honoring God. Amen? That's a little different, huh? <laughs> amen, amen. Paul really wanted to, ple wanted to be pleasing to him. I think this was Paul's highest goal in his life. And I believe this should be our highest goal in our lives, to be pleasing to God. Amen? Verse 10 gives us, as believers, the strongest motivation and highest aim to please God. That is the realization that every Christian is going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment seat is a metaphor. Refers to the place where God, the Lord, will sit to evaluate believers' lives for the purpose of giving them eternal rewards. Judgment seat is translated from the Greek word bima which was an elevated platform where victorious athletes, like during the Olympics, went to receive their crown. The term is also used in the New Testament to refer to a place of judging, like when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate in uh, Matthew uh, 27, verse 19, and John chapter 19, verse 13. But here it is definitely from the athletic analogy. In Corinth, there was a platform like that for both athletic rewards and legal justice purposes. You'd see that in Acts 18, verses 12 through 16, where it says, each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. This is, take, this is talking about actions which happen during our lives as believers. Ministry things we did for Christ, this does not include sins since their judgment took place at the cross. Amen? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Amen? Paul was talking about these activities we as believers do in our lives, in our lifetimes, will have an impact for eternity. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Revelations 22 verse 12 says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Are you hearing what God is saying, church? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, where it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. Whoa, what does that mean? These Greek terms do not refer to moral good and moral evil. Remember, matters of sin have been completely dealt with for the believer by the death of, the, of our Savior, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, Paul was comparing worthwhile, eternal, internally valuable activities with useless ones. His point was not that believers should not enjoy certain wholesome and earthly things, but that they or we should glorify God in them and spend most of our energies and time with eternally, eternal times that have things that have eternal value. First Corinthians chapter three, verses eight through 14 talks about that. See, because only those works which survive God's testing fire have eternal value and worthy of reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, talk about that. Well, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to, once, to die once, but after this, judgment. We've just observed what will be the judgment for believers in Christ. Now, let's look at what will be the judgment for those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Do you remember what Matthew 7 tells us? We just studied that this month. Verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who even find it. Jesus is telling us that the gate is narrow. It's constricting. It's precise. Because it's only, one, it's only by faith in Jesus Christ that we enter into heaven. Only one way. The Bible says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Jesus also tells us that the way is difficult that leads to eternal life. And few even find it. Why? Why, why is it so difficult? Jesus emphasizes the difficulty of following him all throughout the Gospels. Matthew 
chapter 10, verse 38. I can go on and on. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, that's, that's the difficulty, denying myself. And see, that's the key to deny myself. See, it's easy to float through life, not listening to God. You know, and that, and so, you know, when we do that, we waste time. But God wants us, and that's the key, deny himself. Not just deny myself, just to deny myself, but what does Jesus say? It's, the, it's about obedience. If God says for me to do something, and I really don't want to do it, do it anyways. Do it. <laughs> Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Luke chapter 14, verse 27 says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus demands total commitment to him. See, we look at that as a negative thing. Dad, were you telling me what to do? But it's, the, it's, it's, it's what we need. It's, it's, it's the best thing for us. It's like taking medicine that you don't like. But take the medicine that's going to make you well. Just, you don't like it, just take it. It's going to make you feel a lot better. So take your, he's saying for us, just, just take your medicine and obey me. You'll be all right. Even to the point of physical death, be willing to go there. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Are we listening to what's being said here? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Faith that says, but does not really do, is really unbelief. This is what the book of James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. To be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself, deceiving yourself, deceiving, deceiving yourself. Amen? Be doers of the word. So what is the judgment for those who've rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Revelations chapter 20, verse 11 through 15 talk about the great white throne judgment. It describes the final judgment of all the unbelievers of all ages. Our Lord referred to this event as the resur resurrection of judgment or the resurrection of condemnation, 
John chapter 5, verse 29. This judgment takes place in the indescribable void between the end of this present universe, verse 11, and the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. It's Revelations 21, 1. Revelations 20, verse 11, that I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelations chapter 20, verse 11, the great white throne. This is a judgment throne, elevated, pure, and holy. God sits on it as judge in the, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Earth and heaven fled away. John saw the contaminated universe all that we see and even can't see, the universe, go out of existence. It won't exist anymore. Matthew 24, verse 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not, by, it will by no means pass away. The word of God will stay, amen, forever. Amen. Revelations 20, verse 12, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. In a judicial sense, as guilty condemned prisoners before the bar of divine justice, there are no living sinners left in the destroyed universe, since all sinners were killed and all believers glorified. And the books were opened. These books record every thought, every word, and every deed of sinful man, all recorded by divine omniscience, all-knowing God. Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 talk about that. And they will provide the evidence for eternal condemnation. The punishment will fit the crime. Revelations chapter 18 verses 6 and 7. The punishment will fit the, the crime. Pastor just mentioned that. Books of life, the book of life, it contains the names of all the redeemed. That's Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. Revelations chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. 
And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Their thoughts, their words, and actions will be compared to God's perfect and holy standard and will be found wanting. This also implies that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Revelations 12 verse 14 Death and Hades. You know, Revelations chapter 1, verse 18 says that Jesus has the keys to death and Hades. Death and Hades, both terms describe the state of death. All unrighteous dead will appear at the great white throne judgment. None will escape. All the places that have held the bodies of the unrighteous dead will yield up new bodies suited for hell. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If there is anyone here now, after hearing this message, you're feeling convicted because up until this point, you have been rejecting Jesus Christ. You might be thinking, I feel there's something missing in my life. I don't like where I'm at in my life right now. Something needs to change. You've been running your own life without Christ and you now see where that's going to lead you. You don't have to wind up there, spending the rest of your existence apart from God forever, living in a lake of fire. You might be thinking, well, okay, then what do I do? You've just heard Jesus say he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he leaves the choice up to you. That's right. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, do it now. Now is the time to do this. The Bible says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name un under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Again, Acts 4.12. <clears throat> Jesus also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. Nobody else can save you. Now is the time to trust Jesus today. Now is the time. Okay, well, what do I do, you might think? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he's raised you from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans chapter 10, verse 9. So there are four things that you can do. Number one, admit you are a sinner in need of a savior. The Bible says, it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Number two, be willing to turn from sin, repent, because you now see what a mess your sin has got you into and has caused in your life. 
and you have, you've had enough. You've had enough of this. You want to turn away from sin. Repent. The Bible says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That was Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Number three, you've got to believe, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus was buried for you and rose from the dead for you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made until salvation. Number four, through prayer, invite Jesus into your life to become your personal savior. Scripture says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? So let's all bow at this point. You might be thinking, okay, what, what do I pray? Say something like this. Dear God, I see now that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. I believe that you, Jesus, shed your precious blood and died for my sin. I'm willing to turn from sin. I now invite you, Jesus Christ, to come into my heart and life as my personal savior, amen. If that was you, you prayed that prayer, come see me after this message and we can talk further about your new life in Christ, amen. For us who are born again believers in Christ, let's make the most of the remaining times that we're living on this earth. Let's make it, let's make our aim to live, to be well-pleasing to God, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to lead as many people as possible to Jesus Christ, and disciple them to maturity in Christ. Amen? All right, thank you.